morning. Good to see you today. God bless you for being here. If you have your Bible, want to read along with us. We're going to go to uh, Psalm 100. And uh, let me get there, get this. Psalm 100, I'm going to read verses, just two verses, verse 4 and 5. And I realize it's after Thanksgiving, as Jeannie said, post-Thanksgiving. Um, but that's what I want to talk to you about, not Thanksgiving, the holiday, the American holiday. I want to talk to you about an attribute of the kingdom of God, which is thankfulness, and how important it is that we don't lose sight of that. The scripture commands us to be thankful. And uh, in Psalm 100, verse 4 and 5, David writing, he says, enter into his gates with what? With thanksgiving. And he's not talking about the American holiday, right? But he says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. And then he commands us here, be thankful to him, and that's God, and bless his name. And why do we do that? Next verse, for the Lord is what? Is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Oh, what thankfulness does is it keeps us focused on God. and It takes the attention off of ourselves and onto him, and it's with humility that we come to God with thanksgiving because we, it, it makes us, not only are we thankful for what God has done, material, natural, spiritual things even, but, but it gives us the the glory to God for what he has done in our lives. How many, how many in here has ever been to Wild Adventures out there at the theme park? Look at that, most of you. Did you crawl over the fence or did you go through the gate? Did you sneak in or did you go through the gate? You had to have a ticket to go through the gate, though, right? Right? And, uh, and then you once you got in through the gate, then you could go into the courts. You with me? but you had to go through the gate. Thankfulness is so important because it, it is a gateway into the presence of God. And when I say the presence, it's kind of like what was happening on that last song, the manifested presence. God's presence, as far as God, God's everywhere. We, we realize that. God's like the air. He's, he's everywhere. Whether you realize it or not, God's here. But for the manifested presence of God, he, he says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. There, there's a protocol. There's a there, there's not there, there's something that, that that it releases in our lives, and it's just like going into the, to the to the, you know a lot of people miss that, but you, you're trying to get in without the gate. It, it's the gateway in, and when, as we enter in and thanking God, whatever we do, we're not talking about a literal gate. We're not talking about going into heaven. The gate. No, no, we're talking about the manifested presence of God, and. Uh, so that's what I want to talk to you about today. You, you can be seated. I, they've already had you to greet one another, and, and it's good to see. You know, pastor, if you've been pastoring long with I have, there's certain days that you got to, oh, God, kind of, you shouldn't do like that. But, you know, the day after Thanksgiving or the Sunday after Thanksgiving, I don't know, it's like people come to church, they're, they're like on drugs of turkey or something. I, I don't know what it is. And it's typically, with my 34-plus years, it's typically, you know, people's kind of, you know, you, you miss a lot of people. People kind of, you know, they've got this you know, deal going. But, you know, a lot of times, and I, I don't pray for this stuff, uh, but, you know, uh, I just thought I'd mention this to you. It really maybe on one hand doesn't have anything to do with my 
message, and then maybe again it does. But uh, a lot of times on Saturday night, uh, not every Saturday night, but I, you know, the Lord will just seemingly give me a dream that I that I believe is from Him. And uh, as most of you know, this time of year for me, three years ago, my dad died the day before Thanksgiving. So guess kind of how that does for us. On your Facebook, all those memories pop up and that kind of stuff. And, and you know, and, and my dad, you know, was born again. He loved Jesus. But it does kind of make Thanksgiving a little bit uh, tough for us because, you know, he died one day and the very next day we're trying to celebrate Thanksgiving and we got an empty chair, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and it, you know, you, you don't get over it. You just you get through it. I think it's ridiculous for anybody that's lost a loved one for people to tell you, advise you, you know, or say to you, you'll get over it. You'll never get over it. How are you going to get over somebody? <laughs> you'll get through it, though, by God's grace and his help. And so last night, uh, I, maybe what God was giving me just a little peek, and I didn't realize, you know, some of it. But uh, I don't know how many of you ever heard of the group New Song. Uh, they're still traveling today. They travel the world. And, and I got to meet these guys many years ago and actually not only meet them but, but be involved in, 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 uh, with them from a pastor perspective. And uh, at that time, I, I became close friends with the lead singer of New Song, which was Eddie Middleton. And, uh, and uh, you know, just a tremendous man. And, it, you know, they... He sang with them for, for quite a number of years after I, I got to be friends with him. And then uh, Justin, my oldest son that's on the drums up here today, uh, he wanted to, he's always been a musician and wanted to travel. And, and in fact, I, I uh, drove him. Eddie lives in, in one of the suburbs of Atlanta. And I drove Justin one night to catch the bus, the new song bus, for him to travel with them. He had that in his system really bad when he was like 11th, 12th grader. In fact, we were homeschooling him so that he could travel with a, with a band and, and, and do things. And, and God blessed him at a young, young age through some amazing things. Uh, he traveled with a group called Adam's, Adam's House Cats. That's kind of a weird name, isn't it? But uh, he actually, they did uh, concerts all around a 500-mile radius of Washington, D.C., and all those in those big mega churches, and it was leading up to one of the things they it was called the call at the at the Washington uh, mon monument and all that, and and uh, they had just you know hundreds of thousands of, of Christians show up at the call, and they had all the the big ministers come in, and 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 Justin was in, involved in that, and he got to to, to see that world. Um, and then after that, Eddie uh, left New Song and just went solo, went on his own. And uh, one of the first places he came was to my church in Sparks. And uh, once he started just going out on his own, and he came every year and sometimes twice a year. And actually, I have, I've had him here since, since I've been pastor here. And if there's ever been a God-called evangelist, uh, it was Eddie Middleton. And, uh, and so... Uh, as probably most of you, if you if you track any of that, Eddie died back in August, uh, and uh, he uh, he died from complications. He had double pneumonia. He had COVID, and he knew he was dying, and and that puts things in a real perspective for what you think you believe or seem to believe. And so this was August the the sixteenth. 
And, and let me just read you what he wrote uh, himself, lying in his hospital bed on Facebook. He said, as many of you know, I have battled significant health concerns, and now COVID with double pneumonia has set in. <clears throat> he said, as I prepare to meet Jesus, the greatest desire of my heart is for you to know that Jesus saved and changed my life, and he wants to save and change yours. Now, here's a guy on his deathbed, and what he's doing is doing what he's called to do. He's evangelizing. This is what he wrote with his own hands. And he said, no matter how far you've run, he's ready to receive you into a relationship with him. The wisest thing you could ever do is to get to know him personally, the one who created you, who has a plan for your life and who knows about all that you've ever done and will do. He loves you and wants to be your personal Lord and Savior. The only way for that to happen is for you to call upon him. Believe in your heart that Jesus is the Lord. Confess him and your need for him. Uh, he is waiting with open arms to receive you. Remember that it is by grace through faith. If you've never personally called on the Lord, please do so today. He offers a love that, uh, that you've never known before. I don't have the words to express the gratitude, thanksgiving, and praise that's in my heart for the life that the Lord Jesus has allowed me to live. Growing up in the 50s in Albany, Georgia, with so many of my friends, that I love still today with the best childhood a guy could ask for. Raising my four children and now being big papa to my grandchildren has been the joy of my life. Traveling uh, with, his, with the group New Song uh, to win people to Jesus through the word and song was an incredible honor, and I've loved every minute of it. There is still much work to do, friends, and I pray that you will take the baton and share the gospel with all who will listen. Know that I love you with all my heart, and I am grateful for every memory. Until we meet again, give them heaven, Brother Eddie. Just a few days later from that, he died. Now, on his deathbed, he's witnessing, evangelizing, doing what he's called to do. He didn't make it about himself. He ain't grappling. He's just, just doing what he's called to do. And, of course, in the midst of, you know, things and the COVID and all that, they, I, uh, I, you know, after that, and it broke our heart. It broke our heart. I mean, Eddie's been in my home. He's been with my family. Uh, we've had so many Sunday dinners together, and and for for over a decade or more, you know, we were connected. I, I me and my wife uh, went to uh, to the First Baptist Church in Woodstock, where which was his home church, and. Uh, celebrated some milestones and where New Song themselves came and honored uh, him. And, and we drove all the way up there just to be with him and to be, be part of that celebration. And, and, uh, and, and we just love that guy. And he, and just, uh, he, he was always full of ideas. Sometimes I felt like that, I, you know, he wore me out because, it, I, you know, that's all he talked about was winning souls and, and getting people born again. And so when I was pastoring, uh, you know, in, in uh, at Cornerstone and Sparks, he was always, we well, need, you know, try this or do this or do that. And, and we've done so many outreaches and different things, you know, trying to reach out and to see people come to know uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. It was just his heartbeat to do that. And no matter what, it, and he was such a magnificent singer. Uh, in fact, he had a contract that he actually turned down to sing with Motown. Uh, such a soulful voice. And if some of you are old enough in here, you might have went out to the King of the Road in Val Austin and heard him sing. Uh, that's before he got saved. Now, 
way back in the day. And, uh, and even my parents back in their early, early days, they had gone to the King of the Road down a few times here to hear him sing, and he was such a popular uh, singer in those early days. And then he got saved right here in Valdosta. Uh, at a Baptist church, I think Crossroads or somewhere, he was invited. I can't remember, but he he was born again right here in Valdosta, and uh, and his life radically changed uh, for Jesus. And so the reason I'm telling you all that, I guess, uh, didn't plan to. Went to bed and wasn't even thinking about any of that because it's been, you know, like I said, back in August when he when he passed away. And uh, but in my dream last night, I guess God maybe let me see a little glimpse of how stuff goes down in heaven and I saw brother Eddie just as clear and uh he always called my dad Mr. Paul and uh he'd been in our home many times and and back in those days mama would always cook a big Sunday dinner and Eddie loved it when we he would come and minister and then we'd go to my mom's house because he liked to eat (laughs) And, and he loved my mom's cooking and uh but I saw in my dream last night that uh that when I just, I just saw Eddie Milton and I saw him talking to my dad. And he said, Mr. Paul, he said, uh, and, and they, he was just expressing to him, he, he said, do you, do you know how many souls? My dad supported his ministry, of course, like a lot of us did, and, and uh, financially and prayer-wise. He said, do you know how many souls uh, that came to know Jesus because you supported what we we're doing and and my dad said no he said over 10,000 souls and my dad started crying and I and I saw my dad and Eddie hugging one another and both just weeping with tears of joy and that was it that that was the dream and it was so real to me and I woke up from that and 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 I and I thought about you know how wonderful that is. Maybe God's trying to tell us that we don't even realize. So I mean, we we lowball the things that we do for God. We don't realize the impact. I mean, only God's got the real numbers of what's going on. And, and they were so happy when they were rejoicing and just hanging on to one another and hugging one another. And and it was it was like you know that my dad was so glad to see him, and then Eddie was so thankful, you know, to, to and just was sharing with my dad. And I saw that. I saw it's an amazing picture. You don't realize what what you do. What I mean, every dollar you give, everything you do. I mean, what what a significant uh, impact it has. And then I got to thinking, you know, uh, and actually just sitting here in the in the sanctuary, I got to thinking, you know, because it's just stirring in my heart, all, even all through the praise and, and worship. And and I was thinking, you know, I, I remember that they they were going to shove out his. Uh, not necessarily a funeral, I guess you would call it, but maybe a celebration of life. They were going to shove that out a few months because back in August when he died, they just didn't they didn't want to get people together uh, because of the COVID and stuff. And so I just pulled it up on my phone, and guess when his celebration service is? It's today at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, that's, that that kind of made it a little chill bumps go over me when I saw the timing of that deal because I, honestly I didn't know. I hadn't looked at that in months. And so today at three, I think it's at Woodstock. There, they'll they'll have his celebration service, and uh, you know for his life. And and I just want to encourage you with that 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 don't you know don't look around and you try to calculate what the value of what you're doing is. Don't be discouraged. You know that well what I'm doing or a little bit I do or it's not significant. 
you have no way of knowing. My, I, even in that dream, I could tell my dad was blown away that he couldn't hardly even believe it. Over 10,000 souls come to know Jesus just because of what he had done to support the gospel going forth through that, that man and his, and his ministry. You know, one thing we forget sometimes, this is not about making heaven. Uh, you know, getting born again, you know, a lot of times the tragedy with Americanized Christianity is we make getting saved about getting a mansion or going to heaven. And, uh, and uh, you know, that, that's never what it's about. Je Jesus came, you know, the, there's, a, there's a scripture in Luke that talks about, you know, the, the law and the prophets, you know, uh, declared things. But it says, but, but now the good news of the kingdom of God is being declared. And it says people are pressing their way into it. And my experience has been that people are not pressing their way into it because, you know, they're not preaching the pure, undiluted message of the goodness of God. I mean, I notice even preachers that, that, that you know, declare a lot of good things they also have a lot of things added in there. If you do this, 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 and this, then this will happen. And that's not what it's about. Now, this is a kingdom of rewards. The, the Bible calls, uh, you know, that he, it says that in Hebrews, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Notice you're not believing that he was. And you're not believing that he will be someday over yonder in the glory land. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is. He is what? He is whatever you need. He's a present help. He's a, he's a present help. But it says he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The Bible speaks in Revelation about those rewards that God will, will hand out. And First John says, you know, do those things that God's called us so we don't lose our reward. And that's not talking about you're not being rewarded for your labor by being saved. Salvation is a free gift. There's no, you, you can't charge for what's free. But let me tell you something. There is going to be rewards passed out in heaven for the things that you've done for God. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking today when I was pulling in, I was watching my oldest son, you know, walk across the parking lot, you know, and I said, Lord, thank you for, for him because he was walking into this church to play these drums for God and for his daddy. <laughs> for both his daddies, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and there's going to be reward for that. He's going to be rewarded for that. The Bible says that we won't, we won't uh, open, uh, close a door or extinguish a lamp for naught in the kingdom of God. And, and I just want to remind you of those, uh, of, of those things. That, and you, you, you don't be discouraged. I, I texted a preacher the other day, and I, I said, and it just came on me that day. It was so strong, and I just felt like I was supposed to text that guy. And I probably hadn't done that in months. And, and I texted him and I said, don't ever underestimate the value uh, of what you're doing in the lives that you're changing by the things you're doing for God. And, 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 he, and he texted back and he said, uh, what, what, uh, what voice told you to do that today? He said, if there was ever a day that I needed to hear that, it was today. And I just wrote back and I said, that still small voice is what told me to do that. That, 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 and, and that man needed to hear that that day. It was, it was crucial for him that he heard that word of what? Prophecy. You know, that was a prophecy for him. Because the Bible said prophecy speaks words of encouragement, words that build you up, and words that bring comfort to you. And so the Bible says you all may prophesy. 
That's one thing that we can all do. You can all speak words of encouragement. You can all prophesy, uh, you know, the things of God. But I want to tell you, thankfulness is so important uh, because it, it keeps us focused on God. And, and, and it, it is the thing that, that allows the manifest presence of God to, to, to be enjoyed and experienced by us. Uh, the, the other thing that I want you to know that it does is it, it literally creates an atmosphere. Now, atmosphere is extremely important. Now, what happens in here during praise and worship? Now, what was going on during the third song especially, and it's not just because it was the third song, I don't think, and, and, you know, and I told you I watch Brother Mitchell there sometimes. He's my barometer, you know, glory to God. But, you know, I, I just want to be just gut level honest with you. Man, you know, when they were in that song, you know, I'll dance in his presence and I'll dance in his presence. You know, the presence of God was really manifested here to me. I, I, I can't imagine you're not sensing it as well. But for me, it was just the presence of God was so, and I really didn't want them to quit, man. I just didn't want them to quit that song. And, 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 then, and then I had, you know, and, and that song kept coming, we'll dance in his presence and dance in his presence. And, and I'm just being honest with you. Man, I ain't got it together, you know. But, you know, inside, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to just come up here and start dancing. I just, I wanted to do it. I really did want to do it. And you say, well, why didn't you, Crawford says. <laughs> That's what Crawford would say to me. Well, why didn't you? <laughs> I love him. I don't know. I probably do. You know, I, I'm, I'm going I'm, to, you know, cause this stupid flesh. And even worried about what you might think. Well, here's the head guy. He's up there acting like an idiot. It's on Facebook. And that way everybody can see he's an idiot. And there's the preacher up there dancing around. You know, number one, you're too fat to dance. Get, I mean, what are you doing? Keep your seat. Don't, I mean, so, you know, I just try to be respectable, you know, and just. But I, then, I, then I was standing, standing there thinking, what would happen if I had done that? What would have happened? Now we don't know, see? I guess confession is good for the soul, as it says, right? But I hate that I'm like that, and I don't like that about me. One, one, there was a guy I met years ago. He's still alive. You know, and in a lot of ways, the guy was super weird to me in some ways, and I think maybe went, went too far. But there was one thing about his personality that was so awesome to me is he could care less what you thought about him. When it comes to worshiping God or obeying God, I mean, he literally, and that's the thing. When I was young, married, just married, and, and this guy had been uh, went to, to to prison for murder, and, uh, and and God, you know, and and this guy, you know, was supposed to still be in prison, and and but he got born again, got really born again, radically born again in, in prison, and, and and God just worked a miracle, and he got out, and and, and he started coming to our church. The church I was attending then, not pastoring, just, I wasn't a preacher. You know, I just, just, I mean, God was calling me, but I wasn't there yet. And, and that guy just would just do anything, just to, he'd pray anywhere, he'd just do anything. And I loved that about it. I, I, I said, I want to be more like that guy when it comes to that area. And here I am, this old, and still ain't got it all, like, oh, gone, why didn't I just dance out there? I'd be able to rip what they think, you know. Really? 
I, I've been where you've done stuff like that, where I've done stuff. And, and in other words, you step out like that, you step out and you do it. And unexplainable manifested presence just falls in here like a bomb. You, I know some of you won't understand this, but as a kid, as a 12-year-old kid, I've seen that happen in my church that I attended, that I got saved in. We, we had this guy named C.V. Gillum that was an evangelist, came and preached. And this guy had a special, I don't know, gifting or whatever, but, but the presence of, and it didn't happen very often, but I, and I don't remember seeing this one time. And I'm talking about you know, several hundred people in our church. And, and everybody in the church fell out simultaneously on the floor. Young people, old people, people that I personally knew that, that would sit in church like they had a curtain rod slid down their back. You couldn't make them bend for nothing. You know what I mean? These people ain't going to clap. They're not going to do nothing but just stand there like a popsicle. And them people was on the floor. I knew God was up to something then when they was on the floor. Them people was on the floor. Let me say this to the shock you. Lost people that were there were on the floor. And I remember my position was at the back of the church behind the back pew. And I remember that guy, I, this is just the God's truth. I pulled up from the floor, looked over the back pew. Not one soul was standing or moving. Not one head was visible. And the only person that was walking around praising God was the evangelist. And, and I, when I peeked and I looked up, and I'm 12 years old, I looked up and I saw him. He was walking back to on the platform and just praising God. And so I saw, and, I, and there wasn't no more head, and I just went right back down. <laughs> I'm like, don't let that brother see, man. He'd be coming out here and lay hands on me to get back on the floor. And it was so cool, and it wasn't orchestrated. And it was something that people were just weeping. And, it, and, and I've always said, God, I'd love to see that again. I'd love to experience that again. I'd love for that to happen in here. Because I'd like for you to taste of the Lord and see that he is good. I'd, I'd like for you to taste of that, that manifested presence of that. And, and, and I want to tell you something. A lot of times people, you worry about people going to be offended or scared. Listen, you know, when it's really God's presence, they're not offended. They're just blown away by it. They're not offended. Don't worry about it. Go ahead and invite them to church with you. You know, those people that are scared of, you know, any kind of move of God. Just, just invite them. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll get the taste of the Lord. I remember used to when I was coming up in church, we'd invite people. And, and we, we, you know, I was, I was attending the Pentecostal church, and I'm not knocking that or anything. I thank God for my heritage. But I'd invite people, and they would come to church. And I, and I would almost, I would li literally pray, God, you know, please don't let it get wild today. Because <clears throat> if it gets wild, it's going to freak them out. And, you know, so just, you know, let it be a nice service today. And I remember I, so many times, and it would always seem like it would be the opposite. I'd invite them, and there would be, you know, somebody that would be right by them, you know, just go to dancing or speaking in tongues. And, and I was like, oh, God, they're going to think we're in a cult here or some kind of weird deal. But when it's really God's presence, it just, it, you, you, you don't have to worry about it. And, and I've tasted of that. I've seen, uh, you know, to me, what you say, well, what is that? It, I, stop trying to explain everything. Why, why, why you got to figure out everything? Why, why you got to be so smart? See, a lot of you want peace, the Bible kind of peace, the Jesus peace. 
the peace that surpasses all understanding. Isn't that what God promises us? He said, I'll give you peace that goes beyond your understanding. In other words, you won't understand whatever it is. The problem, why your prayer didn't seem to work, why the person died, why this didn't happen, why you didn't get the promotion, why they fired you from, I mean, you may not understand, but yet in the middle of all of it, you'll have peace. What will peace look like? You'll be able to sleep at night, and you won't need to take nothing to sleep. See, that's real peace. And see, it's the kind of peace that Jesus had when he was in the, in the boat with his disciples, and a storm came up, and he was asleep in the ship. And he wasn't fake sleeping. He was asleep. And, and, and so they woke him up and they said, you know, because it, it bothers people that like to worry when you won't worry with them. And it bothers people when you have peace when they don't have it and they don't, they don't like it and they want you up pacing with them. And they want you just as worried as they are. And, and, it, and it bothers people when you don't do that. And they woke Jesus up and said, don't you care. That we perish. That was the dumbest statement they could have made. That's the reason he came, because he cared. But they said, don't you care that we're perishing? And, and, and Jesus walks to the bow of the boat, and he says these words, peace, be still. Who was he talking to? The ocean. He was speaking to the storm. He didn't pray to God. He didn't say, oh, God, would you do something about this? See, I want to tell you something that's really weird. God never told us as Christians to pray that he would heal the sick. I didn't think I'd get that many amens, but thank you for that. New Testament, Jesus said heal the sick. It's just what Crawford was saying. He didn't, they didn't, Peter and John going into the temple, they didn't say, oh God, would thou heal this man? Lord, send down your power. Lord, we know you're able. Come on, God, heal the man. That's why we don't see no heart of healings. Because that ain't what Jesus did, and that ain't what his disciples did, and that ain't what he told us to do. He said, lay hands on the sick, and they'll do what? They shall recover. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. Now, if any of you had any kind of background in Pentecostal charismatic, well, I mean, we know there's still people that's got devils. I've met a few. And I'm not fishing for any today. If you got one, just kind of hang on to him, you know. Okay. But I've cast devils out of people. And I've seen them instantly changed. All right. I didn't negotiate them out. I didn't counsel them for 12 weeks and they finally decided to get, get out. I didn't, I, none of that. I just cast them out. What do you cast them out with? With the word of God. And so what you do is you go, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of the person. All right. And then that's it. And I have never not had that to work. When God gave me the supernatural ability to recognize a demon. And I said, you know, come out in Jesus' name. And, and that's the end of it. Now, whether they manifest or what, I mean, none of that matters to me. I don't need them to puke in the trash can to make me know something's happened. In fact, I, I rebind that in Jesus' name. Because if you throw up, then I'm right behind you. Even though I was a paramedic for 20 years, that's an area I'm not really, I don't like that area. Give me blood and guts, you know, don't give me the, you know, the vomiting, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing up with you. I got to swap over to the other paramedic when you start throwing up. Okay? But what I'm saying is it would be weird, biblically weird, for a person to perceive or think that this has a demon and to say, oh, God, would you make this demon leave this person? That would be an inappropriate prayer. And most Christians know that. That would be inappropriate to say, oh, God, would you make this demon get out this person? That'd go, he's doing it wrong. 
Why? Because what was that the Christian supposed to do? Command that demon to leave in Jesus' name. All right, but it's the same thing with sickness. It is inappropriate to say, oh, God, would you come heal this person? Because God gave you the power and authority and the call to lay hands on the sick and to discharge and be his ambassador, to be his representative, and to do what he would do if he was physically there. And what would he would do? He would rebuke the fever on, on Peter's mother. He spoke to the fever. So now when the disciples wake him up, they're in a storm. And it don't matter if it's a natural storm or a spiritual storm, but speak to the storm. Jesus said he was talking to the storm, peace be still. Now this proves a lot of things. Number one, every storm that comes in your life is not sent by God. None of those storms are sent by God. God don't send Katrina. God don't send any of these storms. God don't send floods. God don't send earthquakes. God does not kill people. Okay? So why? Because God's good. The good news is only good as God is. And, and preachers like me that preach grace sometimes are accused of, well, y'all carry the goodness of God too far. That's like saying, well, God's good, but he's not all that good. Or God's good, but he's not good all the time. No, God's good all the time. And, 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 and so the good news is only as good as God is. And if there's any shadow of turning in God, if God has 90% good but yet 10% angry or evil or bad, then our lives is lived in confusion and fear because we don't know what mood God's going to be in. Can I tell you that God's not angry with anybody? I talked to him this morning before I left the house. He said he was good. And, and by the way, he's in a very good mood. And he'll be in a good mood tomorrow, and he'll be in a good mood the next day. And God's always in a good mood because God is good. The Bible says it over and over. It is the goodness of God that lead men to repent. The word repent don't mean cry and cry and cry and say, I'm sorry for my sin. The word repent means think differently. And so the good news, if it's ever really preached, the good news, undiluted, unwatered down, non-religious good news about God is preached. It, it is the goodness of God that calls men to change their mind about God. Because I want to tell you, a lot of people are angry with God, and I don't blame them because, if, because they believe God took their baby God killed their child, God needed an angel in heaven, that God put this cancer on somebody, or God did this, or he sent this tragedy, or he sent this pain. And, and, and who would want to serve a God that would do that? I wouldn't. If I thought God was behind that kind of stuff, I told you this statement before, I would drop my Bible in the trash can, and I'd never open it again. I'd be done with it. Because that's not good. That's not who God is. It's the goodness of God. And so don't you drag me to Job that you, that you don't even understand or to an Old Testament inferior, inferior. I didn't say in, I said inferior revelation of God because it says the law and the prophets have declared up until this present time, but from this time forward, the, the good news of the kingdom is being preached and, and those that hear it are pressing their way into it. What, what was the good? What, what could the law and the prophets not reveal to us? That, that the now, and so when that was being said, it was said now from, from, from John and forward, the good news is being preached. So what did John come preach? John said, 
John was the way maker. John was the one that was saying, he that cometh after me. John came preaching Jesus. You said he preached repentance. He was. He was saying, you got to change your mind because there's a new covenant coming. And he was the forerunner, John the Baptist I'm speaking of. And so what was it that the law and the prophets could not reveal to us? They could not reveal the Father. It took, it took Jesus to reveal the Father to us. They told Jesus, show us the Father. Jesus said, you're looking at him. Hebrews said, I'm the exact representation of the invisible Father. When you have seen me, you have seen the Father. For I and the Father are one. My Father's not different than me, and I'm not different than my Father. I only do the things that I see my Father do. I've come to show you the Father. You, 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 you've heard, but you ain't seen the Father. Jesus put a face on the invisible God. Jesus showed us the Father. How, how is the Father? What's his move? He, he's, he's the same. The Father's the one that dealt with the woman caught in the act of adultery in John 8. That's the Father. Je, Jesus is not different. Jesus is, is expressing the Father to us. And anything you think you know about God the Father that you cannot prove in the life of Jesus when he walked the earth, you have to question that wrong theology. Job is not, I'm not a disciple of Job, I'm a disciple of Jesus. What if the only verse you had in the entirety of the Bible was, was, the, was the few verses that talk about Jesus walking into the temple, making a whip with his own hand. Didn't have one, made one. Made him a whip. And then went into the temple, flinging the whip, turned over the tables of the money changers and with the whip drove them out of the temple. What's that, what if that's the only verse you've ever heard about Jesus Christ? What would your perception of him be? Not good, that's right. Not good. And, 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 but, but let me ask you this. Listen, would it be inaccurate? Uh-uh. It's not inaccurate. Incomplete. Incomplete. Inferior. Because of his, his, it's just it's just one shot, one 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 slice, and if you really knew his love, the father was protecting his people from the merchandising and and and, and really it was anti-grace because those people were setting up there, and and, and the, the old law said you had to offer a lamb, you had to offer a you know an animal sacrifice, and these people, a lot of people that came to Jerusalem, it demanded three holidays. The Feast of Tabernacles, the pa Passover, and all. they didn't have, they, they weren't farmers. Not everybody was a farmer. Not everybody had sheep at the house. And if they did have sheep, some of them traveled, you know, weeks to get there at the appointed feast. And, and, and you couldn't, they couldn't drive the animals that far. And so when they got to Jerusalem, they had to buy an animal. And here these people were, do like people do on other stuff. They, they shot the price up because they know they got to have it. And now they quadrupled or tripled or ten times what the value of the sheep is. And they said, well, you got to buy it. And they would, they would merchandise and taking advantage of God's people. That's why Jesus come in there knocking tables over. You bunch of thieves. He said, you made my father's house a den of thieves. You're in here robbing people. Man, that ticked Jesus off. He came into his temple to cleanse that thing. And, and, and you know, and, and, and then the, the, the law was, you know, if, you, if you're too poor, you can't afford a sheep, then you bring the offering of turtle doves. And that's what Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, had to, had to bring. And yet some of you, you know, you buy into the three wise men at the manger stuff. They gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then 
And then a month later, Mary, according to the law, brings her male son, according to the law, to the temple, and she is commanded by God's law to bring a lamb. But it was provision made in the book of Leviticus if the family was too poor and could not afford a lamb. They may bring the offering of the pauper, the poor people, which is two turtle doves. And that is the offering that the New Testament says that Jesus' parents brought when they brought him to the temple. So for you to believe the wise men are there, you have to believe that, that his parents are worse than Ananias and Sapphira. They're liars, they're fronters, and they received gold when he was born, but yet they are such liars, they're going to pretend they're poor now, and they won't even spend any of that money to buy a lamb to obey the law and to offer the sacrifice commanded by God. Now you go on with your little wise men story and you believe all that religious bull because we don't read the word and we don't know God. God, would you think Mary and Joseph would do that? Really? Come on. No, you know why? Because at the time they brought Jesus, they didn't have that gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If you read your Bible, it said they came to the house where the toddler, the child, was. And that's where they presented. And there wasn't nobody there but Mary. Joseph was at the carpenter shop at work. Mary and Jesus was there and those wise men. And don't say there was three. There could have been 33. Could have been two. They came to the house. It says that in your Bible. It don't say nothing about no manger. Don't say nothing about no camels, no cows. It says they came to the house where the young child, not infant, not infant, read the Bible, where the young child was and presented their gifts. And then the very day after that, Joseph had a dream during the night. Gabriel said, take the young child, this toddler, flee to Egypt, for Herod seeks his life. Now they had traveling money. They had gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They didn't have to worry about getting a job in Egypt or in, in that heathen land. They had, they had provision. God will always provide before he commands. God's a provider. They stayed there for several years, probably five, six, seven years. And then that angel came, spoke to Joseph and said, you can return now, for he that seeketh the child's life is dead. They moved to Nazareth. He became known as the Nazarene because he's from Nazareth. That's why they mocked him and said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, won't you come and see? <laughs> Come and see for yourself. See, we, we, there, there's so much that we miss because a lot of what we have been fed is an American filtered version of the gospel instead of the gospel. And it is my passion, you can tell it, my heart's desire so that you, that you know how good God is because it is the goodness of God. And, and, and you, listen, the Bible says here in Psalm 100, you'll never be thankful unless you can be thankful because God's good. In other words, if you don't really deep down in your gut of guts, heart of hearts, believe 100% all the time that God's 100% good, you will never be able to manifest a spirit of thankfulness. 
And see, thankfulness creates an atmosphere. So what were we doing a while ago? Why do we even do worship songs and sing and pray? Because it creates an atmosphere. And if we could sense that and realize, and that's what I think Crawford was admonishing us in, you know, it, because see, what's happening is it we, we feel that. We, we, that. I felt the atmosphere changed. Now, don't think atmosphere is not important, okay? And the devil's the master at using atmosphere. Now, you did too. You've used it. Come on, brother. You know when you picked up your girlfriend, you done had your little, you got it all laid out, what you're going to be playing while she's in the car with you. You got the certain songs. You're going to play a little Luther for her. If you're real old, you're going to play a little Barry White for her. Baby, come on, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you're going to be doing, why do you do all that? Why, why did you do, because, see, I'm old enough that I would, I, we had, we'd go by the, you know, the local, and the guy would make us an 8-track. Now, don't worry about it if you don't know what that means. Don't worry about it. I just tell how old I am. But we would have, you know, so I had my, I had 8-tracks. I had like a party 8-track. Then I had an 8-track, you know, when the girls in the car. And all them songs was handpicked by me. And when I pop in that 8-track and we riding, it's an atmosphere being created. And I wanted an atmosphere that was conducive for my plans. And they were not good. They were evil. But you ain't going to be able to work that without atmosphere. You're not going to have an 8-track of the, you know, the big band sound. That ain't going to help no atmosphere. You ain't even getting a kiss in that car. That'd be an idiot. Brother, you ain't got no game. You need to get some music up in here that can help you out. Listen, I'm being serious. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. See, and that's why sometimes some of y'all, you, you'll hear a song from the 70s when you was a young person. And, and sometimes you could hear a song, and you know, you'd be by, you hear a song, and you'd be wanting a tear. You know what happened? It just puts you back in that atmosphere. You, you, you're remembering things. You, you, you remember things. Now, see, Satan is a master at using that adversely to create. See, that's what he was doing in the garden. He wanted to shift the atmosphere with Adam and Eve. That's why he wanted them to disobey, because he wanted control of the atmosphere. And that's why the Bible, now Jesus called him the prince and the power of the air, atmosphere. See, what we got now, we got a strange culture, weird culture as a whole. I'm saying it. America's messed up, man. You know why? Because somebody's fiddled with the atmosphere. Somebody's messed with the thermostat. Because what, what you got is you, you, you have atmosphere, and if it gets shifted, listen, and if atmosphere stays, if atmosphere is sustained for a little while, then it will change the climate. Come, come on now, work with me. And if the climate is sustained then the climate will turn into the culture. And, and so an atmosphere can be a, a temporary thing that happens, atmospheric conditions. I mean, there's a natural realm to this with weather and so forth, but there's also a spiritual realm. So this is why Jesus, when he, he, he walked in Mark 5 to a house where there was a 12-year-old dead girl. Now, they were already having her funeral. Because in the Bible days, when the person, if they died at 9 o'clock in the morning before sundown, they buried them. 
no embalming, no keeping them out, none of that. They, they buried them quickly. And so they've got to get their mourning in quickly. Middle Eastern people still have it in the culture. They, they, they throw themselves into it. And in the Bible culture, I'm not making this up, they, according to your wealth, you would hire mourners. You would hire people. And the more mourners you had, wailing women and, and flute players and wailing people, then the more rich you are. It's like, it's like nowadays, the more flowers you got, you know, must, you, you know people like you got some money. More flowers. But, but in the Bible days, it wasn't flowers. They didn't buy bringing them. Mourners is what they wanted. And so, so they got mourners hired, professional mourners. And they're mourning and they, and they wail and they make these groans and they're just wailing and they keep that going because they only got a few hours. And I'm not saying they don't care. I'm not saying it was pretentious or act, but I'm saying that's the Bible. And so Jesus walks into, the, into this atmosphere where the mourners are mourning and the flute players are, are, are doing the instruments and everybody's got their mind on one thing and that's burying this dead girl. And this was Jairus' daughter. He had came to Jesus and said, my daughter is, is dying, please come to my house. And Jesus said, I'll come. And they're walking and the crowd is thronging them and while they're on the way to Jairus' house, a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years presses her way through the crowd and touches the hem of his garment and Jesus felt virtue, power go out of his body and he stops sensing that and says, who touched me? And they said, how can you ask who touched you when the crowd has thronged you? He said, for someone has touched me for I have felt virtue go out of my body. And the woman, knowing that she would probably be found out, she voluntarily comes forward and said, Master, it was I. I touched you. And he said, Daughter, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And her ministerial bleeding, her, 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 her bleeding constantly for 12 years as a woman dried up in that moment. But, but what we forget about the story is, is that the only reason he was in that town is because he was on the way to Jairus' house. And so now Jairus is going there and he's, he's got a little bit of hope because the, the Messiah is on his way to his house and he's got an urgent need. He's got a 12-year-old daughter that's about to die. But now all of a sudden the, the procession has stopped and Jairus is having to stand there while another person's getting healed while his daughter still lays dying. But he's a patient man. He, there's no, nothing in the scripture that says he said anything like, all right, come on. I, I, call, I prayed first. I talked to you first before this woman. This is an interruption. We got to get to my house. He just stands there quietly. And in fact, the Bible says while he's standing there, some servants from his house come. And, and, and they say in the hearing of Jesus to Jairus, thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master? any further in other words you give up it's over with too late it ain't going to happen that's when Jesus looks at Jairus not to the bad news bearers not to your Facebook posters but he looks to, to Jairus and says fear not only believe for all things are possible to them that believe and so he, he kept on going, and he gets to Jairus's, to, to, to Jairus's house, and there's a crowd there, and the funeral's ongoing, and the mourners have already come in, and they're moaning and groaning, and Jesus walks in, and, 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 and he goes into the house, and he says these words. He says, the damsel, which means the young girl, he says, the damsel is not dead, but merely sleepeth. 
Bible says. Because Jesus has got to shift the atmosphere. Hey, Jesus wants to do a miracle, but even Jesus couldn't do a miracle in that atmosphere. Why? Because it was an atmosphere of unbelief. It was an atmosphere of the lack of faith. And Jesus has to shift the atmosphere. Jesus knows how to, to, to shift that thing. And, and so he says the damsel, he start, what does he start saying? He speaks the opposite. They're thinking death. He speaks life. He, Jesus, uh, they're preparing to bury. Jesus is pre preparing a resurrection for her. He said, damsel's not dead. She's just asleep. And the Bible said they laughed him to scorn. They mocked him. All of a sudden, the mourners went from mourning to mocking. And the Bible said when that happened, Jesus said, get out. Hit the bricks. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Get out of the house. Religious people hate that. Because this is not one of those times where it's like, precious Jesus, he's so nice. Jesus like, get out. Oh, y'all. Hit the bricks, baby. There's the door. Roll. And the, listen, the Bible said when he had put them all out, he allowed no one to come in except Peter, James, John, the brother of James, and the mama and the daddy. Say fivefold ministry. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher represented the full gifts of God. Now Jesus is there. He's got his fivefold there. The door is closed. Now what them people, they're all outside. They've been kicked out. But Jesus broke protocol. He broke funeral procession. The funeral director is all mad. They out there in the courtyard saying, I ain't never been treated like this. That's the craziest man. That's the weird. I can't believe he throwed us out. We was hired to mourn, and we out here in the yard. That's the rudest thing I ever seen. Call himself a Christian. Chunked us out the house. And there ain't nobody in there now but the mom and daddy who loves that girl. And he's got his three apostles with him. And Jesus is standing there. And he looks at her and he speaks Aramaic. Talithakumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto you, arise. He didn't say, oh God, thou great God that dwellest in the heavens. Would thou show thy strength? None of that. He didn't speak to God because he had God. He was God. He was the authority of God. He was the power of God. He was the glory of God. He was the expression of the Godhead. He, 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 he was the will of God manifested. And he says, telleth Akumai. And she rose and sat up. Jesus said, y'all get some cereal. Let her be eating some Captain Crunch when we open this door. Because unless she's eating something, when that bunch comes back in, they're going to start hollering ghost. And they're going to have enough sense to know the ghost ain't eating breakfast. So y'all feed her something before I open this door. And they saw her changed, resurrected, healed, brought back from the dead. What, what, what happened to happen first? Thankfulness. When Jesus is called to an impossible situation, he always lived a life of thankfulness. He, he goes to Lazarus' tomb. He's been dead four days. He's decaying. He smells. 
no embalming again. They would wrap them in grave clothes, cover the, the body with some kind of incense and spices and stuff. But it didn't really help. It didn't really help. The decaying flesh would override that any kind of spices and herbs they placed on the body. In fact, Jesus says, y'all remove the stone. You remove the stone. What is the stone representing? The law. What did Moses write the law on? The stones. Jesus said, this ain't about law. This ain't about what you deserve. Remove you, the stone, out of the way. When the stone is out of the way and it's nothing but grace, then Jesus would say with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. But before he said those words, Lazarus, Jesus did this that we miss. The Bible said he looked up to heaven. And he said, he, ex he expressed thankfulness. And it's in your Bible. He said, Father, thank you that you always hear me. That's all he said. Father, thank you that you always hear me. And he said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. When Jesus has 5,000 men, not counting their wives and children, to feed, and they are starving, they... In fact, Jesus said it's so desperate that if we send them home in this condition, many of them will die on the way home. The disciples said, send them away. Jesus said, we don't need to send them away. He said, you feed them. That disciple was blown away, and Peter heard that command, and, and, and it seemed such an impossible command. And now Peter speaks out and said, well, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what is so little among so many? And Jesus said, see if he'll bring that to me. And the Bible said Jesus looked at those five barley loaves and two small fishes. And that's just a little bit. That was just enough for that boy to have a good, nice lunch. And out there in the fields are thousands of people. The problem is so big. And the provision is so small. What did Jesus do? He, he, he did what he lived, a life of thankfulness. And the Bible says, he did this again. He, it says, he, he wants us to know that he looked up, he lifted his eyes up to heaven. Why? Because heaven is the place that breaks barriers and impossibilities. Heaven is the place where things change. You have to, before you can look down on little, you have to look from heaven toward earth if you look at the little and then try to look to heaven you, you're going to be discouraged you're going to say it can't happen God can't do it I can't pay this bill I can't get out of this debt this, the problem's too big it, the, the disease is too strong the, the process has gone too long I can't, I can't do this I can't overcome this I, you know you, 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 know, you got you to lift your eyes up to the, to the hills of Zion from which cometh my help for my help cometh from the Lord and he looks up to heaven and then he looks down on the little bit. And now he's got hope and expectancy and faith. And he says these words. He, looked, he lifted his eyes to heaven and, and he said, Father, I thank you. He thanked God for five loaves and two small fish. Because that created what? An atmosphere for miracles. When you can be thankful for a little bit, then you allow the Spirit of God to be able to multiply what is insufficient and to bring about a supernatural change in the atmosphere and environment and in your situation. And, and a lot of people think that Jesus fed the crowd. Jesus, the Bible's clear on this. He did not feed the crowd. 
Jesus did not have a 10-foot high stack of fish and chips. Jesus just sat there, and he took the five loaves and two small fish, and, he, and the Bible said he took it, he thanked God for it, he blessed it, he broke it, listen, and he gave it to his disciples. So Jesus gave each disciple a little bit. Now let me tell you what the disciples did. So you get the picture. Now he had commanded them to bring some kind of order out of chaos, command the people to sit in companies of 50. It's easier to feed 50 people than it is 5,000. 5,000, you just got a crowd and a mass. 50 is, there's 50 group here, 50 here, 50 here, 50 here. He said, command them to sit in companies of 50 out on the grass. The Bible said there was much grass in that place where they were. And so now the disciples go to groups of 50. And the disciples hands everybody, here's some bread and here's fish. Yes, here's bread, here's fish. And they just kept handing bread and fish to all those 50 people. And then the disciples went to the next group of 50. They didn't run back to the supply house and load up fish and chips. And then, no, no, that's not how the story goes. They just stand there with what little they were given and in obedience to God and in faith in God and with a thankful heart, they break off and give. And the Bible says every man and every woman, every person had more than enough. So I ask you, in whose hands did the miracle of multiplication actually happen in the disciples' hands. Whose hands is God going to use today to lay hands on the sick and the miracle of recovery happen? Your hands. Whose hands is going to pray for the sick and lay? It's your hands. Don't look for his hands. You're his hands. It's your hands that's going to do it. And you just have to go with the little bit. You say, well, this ain't, this, I'm, I'm, I'm not, stop doing that. It's not about you. Could you take your eyes off of you for five seconds? Could you stop taking spiritual inventory? Should you stop looking within you? It's not you, it's him in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Not you, it's Christ in you. All you ever need to see is Christ in you. Okay, you got everything you need, such as I have. Give I unto thee. Not such as heaven has, not in such as I hope God will send, such as I have. They said silver and gold, we have what? It's good to know what you ain't got. Okay, let's get that one checked off. Silver and gold, have I none? Okay, check that off the list. Ain't got no money right now. Okay, so it must mean that this situation here is money's not going to solve this. So God made sure that they hadn't got what would keep him there. Because if they had money and gave him money, he would stay there for money. He's begging for arms, but he really needs legs. Woo! Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you, you say, hey, listen, that, I'm sorry about that. No, I'm not really. Alms. The Bible said he sits there and begs for what? Alms. A L M S. But he, what he really needs is legs. He needs legs. If he got legs, he don't need alms. And if they gave him money, he'd stay there again. They, they, you say, silver and gold, we don't have such as we have. Give on to thee. And all they did is make a declaration. They did what Jesus said, heal the sick. In the name of Jesus Christ, now rise up and walk. And then they didn't wait and say, do you feel anything? Do you feel any heat? you got any tingling? They didn't do none of that. Come on, charismatics. They didn't do none of that. The Bible says they reached and grabbed him by the hand and lifted him up. Well, what if he didn't, uh, what if he didn't stand up straight and, and get healed? Well, you just set him back down there. He, he's the same place he was before. I want to tell you something that I've learned over the years. More people have the propensity to be healed 
in, in proportion to my prayers for them to be healed. In other words, if I never pray for anybody to be healed, nobody's healed. It's an amazing math equation. But the more people that I pray for to be healed, it increases the healings in my ministry. Does everybody you get prayed for get healed? No. Why not? Don't know. It ain't for me to solve the question. See, I told you, if you want peace that surpasses understanding, you've got to give up your demand from God to make you understand everything. Well, I tell you, when I get to God, he's got some questions to answer. Listen here, Bubba. God don't owe you nothing. And I know you feel like you all bad and all down here. You ain't going to walk up to God and say, I got some questions to ask you. No, you ain't going to do that, dude. You're not going to do that. If you see him, you won't see nothing but total goodness. All your questions are going to be blown away. And a lot of what you thought he was behind, he wasn't behind none of it. The devil comes to kill, steal, destroy. Every good gift comes from the Father above. Anything that you perceive as good that's got bad on it, that ain't God. Well, this is good. The Bible talks about good success. There's worldly success, but that ain't good because it ain't God. But there's good success. God said pray that you might have good success. Well, I'm successful. I lost every, every friendship, marriage. I lost everything getting to be successful. It's not good success, man, because you ain't carrying nothing with you. If I don't leave it, yeah, you'll leave it. That's for sure. That's one thing you got right. You will leave it. You will leave it. Soon from this life, we shall be passed. Only that that is done for God shall really last. That should have made you happier than that. But you, you got to understand the, the peace that goes beyond understanding. And you just say this prayer to God, God, I, I need your peace. And I give up my demand on you to, to explain everything and why this didn't happen, why this prayer, why this one died. I give up my right to understand. Amen? I want you to stand with me. I didn't realize it was 12, 14. You forgive me for going 14 minutes over? You didn't even know it, did you? It was so good you didn't even know I was 14 minutes over. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your petition known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses your understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It is the way to maintain peace. I see so many wealthy people that obtain so much, and they, just like I told you last Sunday, Ted Turner made the statement. He said, I'd, I'd give all my wealth for one moment of true peace. He said this many years ago. The Atlanta Constitution published it. Can you imagine? And it's so heartbreaking because Jesus is the peace. And he's true peace. And he's the prince of peace. But sometimes the peace won't come because we demand to understand. And we lose the ability to be thankful. And, and, and it's just it's a, it's, it's a discipline, but it's more than that. It's the gateway to the presence. Lord, I thank you. As long as I focus on what I don't have instead of what I do have, 
it robs me of thankfulness, which robs me essentially of faith. Lord, I thank you. Can I tell you that you have to work at it? And I don't mean work for it, but I mean I have to constantly remind myself because this world is geared to make you unthankful. And the reason that things have changed so radically is because we've had an atmosphere that has shifted demonically. And it has stayed like that until we have a climate change. And if the climate stays, then you get a culture. When I went to Hawaii, it's a different climate over there year-round. Wonderful. But it also has translated into a different culture. So you see a lot of people wearing, you know, comfortable clothing and flowery shirts and shorts and because that's their culture because of their climate. It'd be stupid to see a guy in Michigan today probably with Bermuda shorts and a flowery silk shirt on. The snow probably wouldn't like that on them legs because it's not the, it's not the culture. It's not that because the climate's different. Do you understand I'm not talking about natural talking about spiritual and you don't understand how you and I sometimes have the ability to walk into a room where there's filled with unbelief the Bible said that when Jesus went into that room raised that girl chapter 6 of Mark says that when he left there he could do no mighty miracles there in that region is it he could do no mighty miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them and then it says that Jesus, next verse, he went from there in a circuit. It says circuit. And teaching them. So what is the answer for people that are filled with unbelief and doubt? So much so that the very Son of God, God himself, it would, it would, it would lock him down where he could do no, it didn't say he didn't want to. It said he could do no mighty miracles there. Why? Atmospheric conditions. An atmosphere filled with unbelief. But let me tell you something, atmospheres can be shifted. That's why we do praise and worship. The atmosphere shifts, your heart, you start believing God for things. You know what happens every Sunday. That's why the devil don't want you to come to church. Because this is the atmosphere that's conducive for miracles and things, and God speaking to you, and you're hearing God. He don't want you to come and get in this atmosphere. He wants you to stay in the wrong atmosphere. He don't want you to get in this atmosphere. But I'm telling you, you got the ability to shift. But let me tell you something, the devil might can mess with the atmosphere. You have the ability to change and affect that. But listen to me, if you're in just an atmosphere that's saturated with unbelief, let me tell you what the devil cannot ever shut down on you, what's in you. That's why it said Jesus laid his hand. You might can mess with the atmosphere, but you can't stop me once I lay hands on somebody. Once I lay hands, it's such as I have give I unto thee kind of deal going on here. See, it don't matter if you believe it or not. You understand? So you walk out of this place today knowing that you carry something. You carry someone. You carry the Spirit of God. It's powerful for you to lay hands on somebody and say a prayer. It's powerful for you to do that. And when I say lay hands, I don't mean you've got to go forehead on them all. I mean, just join hands with them. Just lay your hands on their shoulder. Just say, can I pray with you? Do you mind if I hold your hand? And let's, just, let's just let me pray with you. And, but you're still laying hands on them. They don't know it. It's a sneaky way of getting hands laid on them. Now, if you go, let me lay hands on you. If you do that, I mean, they're going to freak them out. Just say, do you mind if I just lay my hand on your shoulder and pray for you? The power of laying on of hands. It's all throughout the New Testament. Lay hands upon the sick. The Bible says that if you lay hands upon the sick, they shall recover. 
He didn't say that everybody going to get an instant miracle, but they'll recover. He said, God promises you recovery, restoration, health back in your body. We agree with God. I command that in Jesus' name. Do what Jesus would do if he was there. Because you are Jesus, his ambassador. You represent him. You're there to put hands and face on him. What Jesus did for the invisible God, now you do for the invisible Jesus. Because he's now he's visible through you. You are the living epistle. Read of all men. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Help us to lift our eyes to heaven and see the possibility of breakthrough in every area. Let us be able to look at the little and see the potential for much. We're thankful for the little that's in our checkbook. And we speak and declare that it will be more than enough. We'll have leftovers. God, your disciples took up 12 baskets full after all those people ate. And you started out with such natural, in the natural realm, such a small amount. But you were thankful for that, and you thank God for it. God, would you please help me to stop being unthankful when I see just a little bit, and the problem overwhelms me, and I do math in my head, and I say, there's, there's not enough. I'm not going to make it. And fear rushes my heart, and anxiety rushes me. God, would you help me to look at the very little and lift my eyes to heaven and say, thank you, Father, for the five loaves and the two small fish that are in my hand. Thank you for what you have given me. Let me, Lord God, offer this to you, believing you to make the difference because you are a supernatural God. I praise you for that. Help us to be thankful for God is good. And, Lord, when we begin to doubt your goodness, let us just say, Where's, where is God's goodness? Look behind you, man, for goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Goodness and mercy are our constant companions. And if the devil shoves us backwards, all he's doing is shoving me right into God's goodness and his mercy that propels me forward. Thank you, Lord, that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, I give you praise. Come on, praise the Lord, church. Praise him. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Well, we love you guys. We love you at Grace Point. You can always receive personal prayer down here. I dismiss the church. Thank you for letting me go a few minutes over today. God bless you. We love you. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy post-Thanksgiving. Hallelujah. God bless you. We love you.